we will not be held responsible for any hearing impairments or damage caused to you from excessive exposure to this sound. And welcome to the Oral Fix Podcast. I'm Henry Diaz, your host. This is episode number 53. Topic, soulmates. So everyone, I hope you had a great week. I'm maybe a couple of days off from a week, but uh, you know, I am, I'm happy to be doing this podcast because it's a very lengthy and special podcast full of nice hearty love meat for you all. Uh, I'm in Long Island at the moment and recording from the Hamptons. And I'm here with my friends Nandi Griguero, who was on last week's podcast, and her lover Ishan Das. And later on, we'll have Lee Ishan Das um, speaking uh, with me for a very special episode of Go Ask Alice. Now, let's get to the formalities. So, Oral Fix Podcast is a weekly social commentary podcast for the gay community. It can be found on iTunes, Stitcher.com, sl- forward slash, The Oral Fix. And if you listen to Oral Fix and other podcasts on Stitcher.com and you sign up as a new member, use the link I just gave you. And you'll be entered, once you sign up for it, you'll be entered for a monthly $100 cash card drawing. And I forgot to welcome the new listeners and old listeners. <laughs> welcome. Um, Oral Fix can also be listened to as well as the archives at the blog, www.oralfixpodcast.com. And while you're there, please check out the uh, musical tracks for the day, week, and month, as well as remixes. We have a whole bunch of new ones there for this month and uh, this week and this day. Also, um, I would like to mention that this week's podcast is brought to you by and sponsored by Stitcher.com. Every time you listen to Stitcher.com, you're supporting, uh, well, my podcast and you're also supporting, you know, the longevity of the podcast. Um, Stitcher.com is a great way uh, to listen to podcasts, especially the oral fix, on your mobile devices, iPads, smartphones of any type, uh, as well as your computer. Look at that. And I believe now they're on, um, they might be, I might be wrong about this, but maybe it's in the works in the future, but um, you can listen to it like through um, set-top box, uh, like Roku or something, you know, Um, or uh, TiVo. I I don't know if I'm right about that. Anyway, um, so I'm not going to take up too much time with a weekly review um, about what's happened to me uh, this week. Um, but I will give you a little, you know, summary and, you know, I, I had a, you know, I, some epiphanies during the week, which I'll talk about later on in the show. But, um, just right before I even got onto recording the beginning of this podcast, uh, a few friends of mine, you know, who are supposedly Christians and maybe even Catholics, 
um, it's supposed to be true believers, um, are masking around, tossing around this thing on Facebook, which is a advertisement. They're calling it a post of some sort. I, it's an advertisement, and it's to support Chick-fil-A, uh, who's been in the media constantly for like the last two weeks or so. And um, they posted it up this morning on their Facebook uh, walls and I was you know I was in a really good mood and up until I read that and it you know and I I felt so disillusioned by these friends that I unfriended them because you know if you're supporting if you're you're masking around saying that Chick-fil-A is um, being targeted because of their beliefs because they believe in traditional family values it's bullshit and it's a farce um, because by now, they should have backed out of from it all, apologized, just for, you know, um, not that they did anything wrong, but just for apologizing for using that platform, the media, um, to support their stance on anti-marriage. And, 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 and well, and, you know, they're anti-gays. Um, supposedly they wrote a letter to the public of Boston letting everyone know that there were uh, there were four traditional marriages um, and family values and um, they were anti-gay and the mayor retorted back and said well you know if you're anti-gay you're anti-Boston because Boston is all for the gays and we legalize and they you know they were the first to legalize gay marriages within a city state so, um, and that's Massachusetts, you know? So, you know, what hurt me the most is that they went around masking and raiding, pretending to be my friends, and continue to say that they're my friends, and we'll disagree to, dis- to agree, and that I, even one of them called me a bigot, which was, it just didn't seem right. If you have friends like this, and they're on Google+, Plus, your social media, or even your phone book, unfriend them, you know, stop talking to them, but let them know why, though. And don't engage in any stupid arguments like I have in the past where it really became futile and they haven't even apologized. So I don't expect apologies and I don't expect anything much. But maybe in the future, these people will change their minds about gay people and stop the persecution against us. Because when you give your energy and your mind over to a campaign advertisement like that is no longer about freedom of speech. It's about money. It's about money. It's about targeting uh, and disseminating a small, really small faction of, of humans. So I hope you enjoy the rest of this podcast because we kind of get into a little more about this, I and Ishan, and we have the card of the month and the card of the week. And, um, and this, like I said, it's a very special, uh, oral fix podcast. Enjoy.
Hello, and welcome to Go Ask Alice. We haven't done a Go Ask Alice in a very long time, and this week is going to be a very special one because um, Alice is really going out and asking somebody <laughs> a couple of questions. I have Ishan uh, Das here with me, uh, otherwise uh, known as Nandi Riguero's lover. And Nandi Riguero was uh, with us last week for, ch for chat where we discuss her um, experiences in the lesbian community. And um, if you're interested in that, I suggest you go listen to the previous podcast if you haven't done so yet. Um, but before we get into it all with um, Go Ask Alice, um, I, I would like to just introduce Ishan and say hello. Hi. Glad to be here. Glad to be back. I was in the background last time, but uh, it was fun then, so I'm looking forward to this. Great. Next time, just don't read my thoughts for the questions. Let me ask the questions, okay? <laughs> no problem. <laughs> We've become such good friends that we can read each other's minds now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a happy problem, I think. <laughs> and guess what? I also have Nandi Riguero with me. Hi. Because <laughs> wherever Ishan goes, Nandi goes. And vice How are you, Nandi? I'm doing great. Yeah? yeah. How's, it, how's life has been for you after being on the Oral Fix <laughs> podcast? Um, pretty interesting. <laughs> Good surprises, you know, people that I haven't heard from before have written me and some had somewhere mis misled because of the title of the podcast. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. What did they think? Well, some people have invited me over because they're too bored or they're like, oh, you know, I miss you kind of thing. And I'm like, wait a second, is she not straight? <laughs> oh! Did you have to break? the bad news I know right you must make a lot of lesbians cry <laughs> <laughs> they go home and cry because they think they found their soulmate <laughs> I know I'm, I'm nice that's all <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you are right Ishan absolutely very nice <laughs> Okay, as a friend, I just know Nandi as just a friend, and she's just nice, and that's all. Yes. Well, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. And for being on this week's show also, yeah, though it's more about your lover today. <laughs> Before we get into, well, everyone, today's topic for Go Ask Alice is soulmates. And it's, this is going to be a prelude to a couple of other uh, series of Go Ask Alice that I'm going to try to string along throughout the year that will go into the um, realm of homosexuality and divinity. So, um, but before we start and get into that, let's pull out a card for the month and the week. So, let me go and shuffle the cards here. And last month, it was all about uh, complex stability, I believe, right? 
or no, being centered because the previous month was complex stability. Though the card's complex stability did come up as a confirmation card a couple of weeks ago. So this month's card, the month of August, it is August 1st and late at night as we're recording this. Um, let's see what spirit is going to give us. And the card is... <gasps> wow, this is a great card. Um, this is really great. You know, Mystic Ed, um, who was on here, a friend of mine, a couple of shows ago, two shows ago, he pulled out, he did a prediction also, he did a card uh, for the month and stuff. And I think this kind of falls in line for maybe, because uh, it was like for July and, and the month of August, I think he kind of like did this prediction. But my prediction here for uh, the month of August based on the Mayan uh, tarot deck is uh, Eek. And Eek is all about uh, wind, the energy of wind. The, uh, the re wind, if you think about it, is about regeneration. It's about uh, mental, that mental state of mind or the subconscious mental state of mind which keeps, um, you know, pushing ideas f and flowing ideas and, and making your thoughts come in and out. Um, but when it comes to, you know, reverence with the uh, Mayan culture and, and spirituality, as well as mine, um, uh, the kin to the Mayans, Arawaks, um, it's all about regeneration, uh, energy, um, the power to unleash and heal, most of all. Um, if you think about it, you know, when can, carries a lot of stuff with it, you know, like gusts of winds come in and, and storms blow wind around and, and, and wind carries a lot of things and messages. So I would say for everyone this month to pay attention to messages in the wind, subtleties, the subtleties of things, you know, in life, um, so I, I'm also getting that we should all allow ourselves to breathe because it's about breath also. If we didn't have breath, we wouldn't really have an animate life, you know? And our blood wouldn't be moving in our bodies. So, you know, pushing this message further, um, it's all about allowing ourselves to really kind of go with the flow, but allow ourselves to really become a part of everything and that, that, f that, that uh, carrying of energy, you know, letting energy channel through us without any breaks or stop in our breath. So anything that we do this month must be concentrated on that very subtle thing called breath, air, wind. So you breathe in. Breathe out. I'll, whenever I get this card for myself or for other people, I always give them that that kind of meditation of breathing in all the way deep, all the way down to the base of your spine, and filling up your lungs and really letting the breath totally out, and then repeating that motion for a good five minutes. And if you could focus on doing that every day, 
uh, at certain parts of the day, you'll be surprised how much more energy you'll have throughout the day and how much clear thinking and focus you will have. If anything I did during these last two months because of the complex stability and centeredness, my breath always kept me centered because whenever I feel I'm stifled or I'm, I, I'm you know, faced with a problem and... And, and, and I, I, I can't, like, you know, munch away at it, it is, I always stop, and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And then I notice, if I look at myself, I notice that my breath has stopped, and I've trained myself to check my breath. And I remember the first time that I ever did that, I was like, oh my god, you know, I'm not breathing. So I'm, like, probably on my way to dying if, you know subconsciously, you know, speaking, like, are my motives really, or my mind, or my thoughts really bent on that, set on that? So, you know, be mindful of those thoughts also. You know, the energy that you create with your breath, or the energy that actually is going around you, because, you know, you can also, you know, use this message and the message of this card to really notice how the energy is moving around you. And, and watch out for the signs, you know, is this a good energy or this is a bad energy? Should I be in this place or should I not be in this place? Should I move or should I not move? Why am I not moving? Is it because I'm not breathing? So that is the message for this month. And um, I, it's not so much of a prediction as though a helpful hint and advice and, and things for us to focus on. I see you shaking your head a lot, Ishan. Do you have, you could, you're more than welcome to jump in at any time and offer your... Well, it, it's, it's all right. I, I just like listening to the whole thing. I mean, it's a good advice. And um, <clears throat> I'm nodding a lot just because it is... It's good, solid advice, but it, it really reminded me of something that's been um, taught to me again and again over and over whenever I become a student to somebody who, who really is a master at what they do. Um, all the masters, maestres, gurus that I've met, they always start with a simple instruction, which is breathe, mm. which allows everything else to happen. But um, to articulate it and bring it into most recent history for myself, um, I, I study singing as well. And my teacher just said something absolutely beautiful to me that um, actually made it clear to me that he should be my teacher. You know, I was, I was, we were just being introduced to each other at the time. And um, he listened to my voice, he listened to me sing, and he constantly reminded me to breathe. And then at the end of it, he, he went a little bit further to say, you know, that breath and that sound you make with your breath, that's your life, that's your life force. And always be aware that, in this case, singing, that breath that you're putting out there, that's your life force. So really pay attention to that breath and know for yourself that you're putting your life force out there and know that you should take each breath with the knowledge of its importance because it is your life force. And it's the life force you put out into the universe. It's how we regenerate the universe. We breathe life into the universe. We have the soul, and we give that soul to the universe, back to the universe. It gave it to us at birth, and we give it back slowly up until, you know, we run out, um, back into the universe. So be careful how you do it. And not careful as in to say cautious or overprotective, but careful as in careful, carefully 
about the breath you put out into the universe. <laughs> and um, when he said that, it was just beautiful because that to me really explained why singing is beautiful. Why even singing badly, <laughs> which I did a lot of that day, <laughs> um, was beautiful because he kept looking at me and smiling as if I was singing quite well. When I, I'm fairly certain that wasn't the case, which is why I went to him in the first place. And um, that was why, because he can hear people's life force. So it doesn't matter what pitch it is, it sounds beautiful. That's to him. deep. So, yeah, so that's why there was a lot of nodding my head and, and understanding that um, when, you're, when you're breathing, you're regenerating the universe, and the universe will thank you for that. And, and to go in, and when you're holding your breath, you know, you're saying, like, am I subconscious, subconsciously trying to die or something along that? I like to think, or at least the thought that came to me at that moment was, when you do something and you don't breathe at the same time, you're still doing the action, but you're doing it without your life force. And wow. without all the beauty and passion and what we would call humanity, but what connects all of us, whether human or unhuman or anything, um, in it. So it's very disconnected. And you'll see it. That's why you, you'll do it somewhat robotically. No hate on my robotic friends out there, but <laughs> you know that's why you do it in a disconnected way because right. you've forgotten to breathe. And breathing allows you to be who you are. And, and another teacher of mine that um, I, I have respect for uh, said to me that talent is not superior skill. Talent is the ability to be yourself in whatever you do. Mm. So if you're talented in music, it's simply because you, unlike the rest of us, are able to be yourself while doing something musically. And that's what talent is. So I just linked those two thoughts together, you know, that I heard from two, two teachers. One, that talent is the ability to be yourself at whatever it is you're doing. And that breathing is being mindful of your life force, which will bring yourself into the universe. So I was thinking of all of that, and I was nodding my head. How true it is, and if you, you know, you know, if you want to take it a little further with what I was saying earlier about healing, it really coincides with that because healing—that's um, to me a part of healing, you know—and uh, and the continuance of health. So you know, it makes a lot of sense, and and you know, the life force, you know, and when you're contributing back to the universe. I mean, our own little universe here on planet Earth, we're contributing back to the plants and everyone else. And there's another thought that I was taught by one of my tribal brothers and um, and really wise person. You know, he said to me, you know, look, you know, the, the wind is coming up against us, you know, and and we were having a really nice moment and, and meditative moment. And, um, and he said, that's our ancestors, you know. It's not only, you know, when we say it's our ancestors, it's just not my American Indian ancestors. It's all the human beings that I've connected to and at many different lifetimes in this universe. Well, in this lifetime and in this world and probably the universe as well, but mostly in this world as, you know, everything in our elements on Earth belongs to the Earth and whatever was made from the Earth, our Mother Earth. But, um... You know, and also you made me think of yoga. You know, my other experience I had with yoga when I was taking yoga, and I never had a spiritual experience until I went away to this retreat down in North Carolina. And um, this woman just led it. And it was this conference that I was at for, uh, non for community organizers and nonprofits. And, 
you know, she was just a Joe Schmo or whatever. I really didn't know anything about her, and she didn't put herself up in a platform or anything. And I had this tremendous experience in her class, in her yoga class. And I, and I saw, I mean, the things that I saw and the way I felt after it, it was amazing. And I wasn't on drugs, and I didn't drink the night before or anything like that. It was just like I had, I had like a spiritual awakening. I was like, whoa, just, what just happened there, you know? So, um, you know, I saw that planets, Jupiter, and Earth, all in order. And my mind never works like that. So for me to have that kind of like something connected and because uh, I forget the type of, I think it was a Yengar yoga or something we were doing, but um, it was great. So, you know, anybody out there also who's listening in, you know, and want to take this message a little deeper, um, you know, take a Sean's um experience also in this but I you know just to consolidate a little bit more I think you know if you're doing for exercise or you're not exercising that's another great way to jumpstart your breath and your health and really changing your life I mean it's amazing how breath really changes somebody's life yeah I mean if I'm if I may uh, just a very straightforward one I, another thing that you said that I, I not of that not just because of the synergy but the, the literal connection with my own life and my own experiences um, exactly on that point you know breathing you know in, in India through yoga breathing is its own exercise really is a if you're a student of yoga you you are you have a whole section if you will based on breathing it's a, such a foundation of being alive and being healthy and for myself um, I took a trip down towards the equator um, not my first time, but you know, I've done, I've done before. But um, I also tend to uh, get sick down there. You know, I mm. mean, you pick up a lot of things. The tropics are full of life, but that also means um, a lot of that life penetrates your body, and there's no way to get around that. That's just part of living down in the tropics. And when you see um, how much life kind of penetrates your body, microorganisms, uh, just. Uh, animals that you that touch you and people you interact with you're really exposed to a lot of things and you know my immune system isn't really up to the challenge so I, I picked up you know some, some pretty heavy things that uh, that came back with me and like kept plaguing my kept plaguing my body and I knew from previous experience that the only way to self-regulate the um, internal internal conflict that was going on in my body uh, being introduced to all these new organisms that I picked up from from near the equator was to breathe. Literally, it was just to breathe. It wasn't to take a lot of antibiotics, uh. um, which didn't which didn't work. You know, it's it's not like I'm just saying that. And if I had done it, it would have worked. No, wow. they, they didn't work. Really? The most high powered antibiotics didn't work. Um, homeopathic medicines just not strong enough. Not at all. It was the body. The body was the only thing that could cure itself. And it wasn't by really flushing everything out, which is what medicine tells you to do with, with what they call parasites. What it was was we were, I was picking up new fauna and flora from a new place, and my body just didn't know how to be, play nice. Wow. <clears throat> but to get to know them, basically it would be like, you know, you're in a neighborhood and suddenly people who don't speak the language and don't do the customs move in, you're going to have conflict. But really, you shouldn't be trying to kick them out. You should be learning to come together and for the body the way that it does that is through breathing and there's a specific breath in yoga called the breath of fire 
which they say purifies the body, but for me, really regulates the body. And it's exactly the breath you talked about, where you inhale to the to the base of your spine, and then you exhale completely. And there's a little, little bunch of technical things to it that makes you realize that uh, although you've been breathing your entire life, you're no expert. <laughs> there are people who really have got it down to a science. But um, but yeah, that that actually cured me. That put my digestive system, my blood, and everything back back on track. And it's not because it ejected all these things from my body, but it actually helped my body and these these organisms relate to each other so that they could integrate into my system and then exit my body normally, the way, you know, things are always coming in and out of the body uh, as a living being. Uh, you know, so they could kind of leave as friends as opposed to, you know, some sort of survivor's war or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I really, I really appreciate what you say. And as, as always, the first step in anything you learn anywhere in this world is to breathe. Mm. Oh, you know, I'm here sitting with Ishan, and um, <laughs> I have to rattle myself a little bit and be like. I mean, sometimes, like, most of the times when I'm talking to him, just on a friend-to-friend basis, and we're, like, philosophy, spirituality, and stuff, like, it's pretty cool. I don't think I've ever admitted this until now. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, you know, like, were you talking to him personally, like, eye-to-eye, like I am right now because of the show? Maybe it's because I'm interviewing you that this is happening, but I'm staring into his eyes, and I'm, like, falling in love with him, Nandi. <laughs> He's just like mesmerizing me here and charming me. <laughs> He's using his Indian magic. <laughs> That's what it is. I'm seeing like his spiritual self, which, you know, Ishan does like, you know, most of us who walk a very spiritual path or a very grounded path and are very open, you tend to see um, the other person's spirit and, who, you know, who they are. And we'll get into that a little bit more, but I want to talk a little bit more about the card of the week. Uh, until I actually do the podcast again, which is hopefully within a week's frame time, <laughs> which will be most likely probably next Wednesday as well. Um, so now the card that I pulled out is Seeb, and Seeb is uh, rebirth, the vulture, the um, uh, or you know the uh, the enlightened one. But the way that this came out is more of a challenge for every one of us. We all are being presented in our life with some type of stagnation that we haven't dealt with. Something that's going sour, you know, and I talked about it the last podcast also, you know, my card that I pulled out for the week, I forget what it was, but I remember the message. Um, and it was all about, you know, really letting things go. I think it might have been dissonance or something. But, you know, um, and since we enter Mercury in retrograde, it's a perfect time to do that, to repair, redo, or let go, you know. Um, and if you haven't let go of anything, or you haven't really birthed something, or something that you were going to, you know, bring to light, or or really, um, you know, you, you had this major project that you're going to show the world, but you, you're second-guessing yourself now and you don't want to do it, if you're not going to put the energy to do it, then let it go because it's going to be dead weight. Person, p- place, or thing, or concern, whatever it is, just let it go or really get to that challenge and push it out there, 
you know, whatever it is. It could be also something you're being mean to say to somebody or something you've been trying to test out on somebody or something, you know, just let it out there and see how it flies because it's all about the wind this month. <laughs> all right, so that's my, um, my tarot uh, for the month and for the... Remit, uh, and for the for this week until the podcast starts again next week. I actually just as you're wrapping up, I just wanted to jump in and just say that um, you, you know I, I'm not sure how where people are of the the deck that you use, but um, for me it was a very new experience seeing the Mayan deck. Um, I've seen a lot of tarot decks of the more traditional like Western sort but not from the American American tradition. I, I, I was very unaware of them until I was introduced to them through you. So I don't know what many of the cards mean, but um, when you pulled that card, Sieb, and when I saw, I'll call him, I'll call Sieb him, but um, when I saw Sieb, it really resonated with me before you even started speaking. And then when you started speaking, I heard very much what I was feeling. So I know what I was feeling was right, which mm. is, which is, um, and I'll give you a little bit of personal history, and this is a little history between. Um, I won't stare into your eyes now. <laughs> no, between <laughs> between the two of between the two of us, I know, right? But um, but the first time I saw this deck was the one time that um, that you've done a reading for me. Uh, I was here, and um, Nandi had requested requested. I was oh yeah, with, I, I was here with that. at this table, which is also a table that you. I guess normally don't do the podcast at. So I was here with you at this exact table, um, and Nandi wanted a reading, and, and you very graciously did one for her, as you know you do for all the people who come to you and ask that that kind of a help. And then uh, because I was here, I also kind of took advantage of that. You know, I mean, you were willing to, and um, I I take what you do seriously, so I wanted to get a real opinion from you. You know, you're in the room with somebody who has an ex- some expertise and they're willing to share it for free like and we all need help right so um so i was like yeah you know please do a do a reading for me especially because leading up to that a lot of things were shifting for me internally Mm. internally which means i remember that now yeah yeah. and um while i'm not sure if he again he being sieb sieb was the most important card that was drawn that night but it's the only one i remember by name and shape oh yeah i kind of remember that now sieb came up and Sieb, as you said, it's to let it go, right? And it's also the vulture and enlightenment. And renewing. And renewing. And, and uh, rebirth. Mm-hmm. Rebirth, right? And that's exactly the feeling that I was going through. And an interesting connection, I was going to say uh, uh, a hat trick, but it's actually more than that since it's a connection with all four of those concepts. I was going through a rebirth at the time. My uh, Mayan spirit animal is a vulture. Oh my god. Yes. And um, my name, Ishan, is the enlightened one. Oh my god. Oh my god. I just put, I just pieced that together now. Oh my god. Um, oh shit. And so, you know, I didn't, I don't think you went into that detail when you were going over the card, but that card then also, and to take that a step further, my name relating to it in that way, that moment was the moment that I finally came out of the closet, if you will, in terms of my name, um, which Ishan 
which I was given at birth. That's right. I remember this. But I never really used, and I've always wanted to, because I feel it... it I, at first, I didn't use it because I felt my personality wasn't ready for the name. And, or, or rather... Yeah, I guess that, that's what I felt. And then, and then um, my personality caught up, but my name was... was you know that wasn't my the name that people used around me so i didn't know how to make that transition properly and uh and it came through seeb letting go mm. just letting go i mean i that night i had just become open about uh, the abuse i'd i'd faced as a child and now well, i was ready to, to face all of that like you know openly to be able to speak about it as opposed to have to hold anything inside and uh, be able to use my proper name, Ishan, and be as proud of it as I am, but also be open with it. Uh. And it all came through letting go. You know, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't come through the strength of holding on. You know, or um, it comes from the strength of letting go. And that's really what allows you to connect and get back to the month. Breathe. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. You know, you have to let go of that angst in order to breathe. And when you're rebirthing, it's like the same process. Like you think about a woman when she's giving birth. She has to breathe a lot and really concentrate on her breath so she can relax her muscles enough to let that baby out. Um, or, or, get, or gather the energy to push the baby out or help the baby to come out. So, and also through the pain that she's going through. You know, she needs to breathe. We all need to breathe. So, um... Yeah, thank you for really sharing that personal side of yourself, and you really didn't have to. And and um, but thank you so much, and thank you for paying homage also to my reading. And I I remember that you know I, I and your card actually came up as a challenge, like this one has come up, and for this week it came up contrary, which when cards come up contrary in a reading, it's just a challenge, a obstacle. It's you know you're not really in sync with the energy of whatever that message is that the card is, you know, giving. And it just happens to be this week breath. So if you, Ishan, find that, or Nandi as well, <laughs> and everybody who's listening find that you're really, you know, haven't let go of something, you know, in this Mercury retrograde, it's time to do it. Uh, or if you haven't really, you know, said something or done something or told somebody even, you know, it could be as simple as telling them, I love you because you know that you love that person let go you know it's all about trust too when you do all that you have to have some sense of trust that things are going to be okay once you do that so um thank you sean again no thank you that was that was an amazing reading and you still got it (laughs) (laughs) still got it i hope so um now, for everybody who's listening in new, this segment is all about um, paranormal stuff, spiritual stuff, metaphysics, and also, you know, I try to pull out a card for the week on everybody, for everybody, not on everybody. It's not like I'm <laughs> fooling at everybody. Uh, anyway, so, um, and, and uh, this week, you know, I'm going to actually extend this segment a little bit more. Um, and talk about, um, as I said, you know, I want to do uh, a string of Go Ask Alice uh, regarding homosexuality and divinity uh, and religions. So, um, and how, you know, it's played throughout history and how it's viewed today. 
um, and do comparisons and just, you know, exploit it a little bit more just for our well-being. Um, it was interesting this week, you know, this past two weeks I've, I've been in Long Island trying to recuperate, re-energize for the Renaissance Fair, and just really, I've been really working on letting go of stuff and rebirthing, <laughs> and actually repairing and rehealing, and the universe has been putting me into situations that I'm called for to take care of, because I'm ready to move to m into my next level in life. Um... And one of the things that really, several things that struck a chord this week, because as I spoke in, um, earlier in the podcast um, about my soulmate, um, I've been talking about it a lot um, with Nandi and, and Ishan, but Ishan mostly, for some reason, I connected a lot because uh, he knows, you know, a great deal, and he's, um, you're East Indian, but you're American East Indian. Yes, yes. I was actually, um, I was born on the migration from India to here, so um, I... Wow. Yeah, so, so you know, didn't really have my feet on the ground uh, for a little while there, but, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, uh, the way I like to say it is I was... Uh, Raised in raised in the states, uh, assembled in Great Britain, parts from India. You know? And you identify as a uh, homosexual. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to. Oh, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not trying to steal him from you. <laughs> you identify as a heterosexual man, correct? Yes, yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> and um, you're <laughs> you're a computer geek and. Um, you know, you weren't necessarily raised in East and in Hindu um, religion, um, but you were very aware of the spirituality, and your fa family followed that. Um, a very traditional um, devotees of certain deities, and um, actually a main deity, as you explained it to me. Um, but you're just one of those people that. Uh, and it happens now and then, and you kind of, it was kind of interesting, everyone. He uh, referred to it as almost like a coming out experience, uh, coming out of the closet where, you know, he says, you know, I'm not going to be a devotee of this deity. I, I am a devotee of this deity, which, if you don't mind me, should I? Please, please Okay, it, it, who is Shiva? And um, and Shiva, uh, as I found out, as we, uh, the transgressions of our conversations <laughs> that I had, I had, I placed you under. <laughs> um, but you really indulged me in, and I, I really thank you for it. Um, I, he reminded me that Shiva uh, is an actual um, two-spirited, transgendered person, um, essentially almost like a hermaphrodite, correct? Yes. So, and, um, and our conversations from that on just kind of spun off, and you got, in, and he started relating a lot back to um, uh, being two-spirited, being homosexual, you know, gay, the gay culture, and, and which I find interesting, and this is not why you became a devotee, a devotee of, of Shiva. No, no, I actually, it, it was... It's one of those things where um, you just look at what you've been doing all your life. This is why I kind of think of things in terms of the, the coming out experience and why I think the coming out experience actually that um, is so foundational to the gay and lesbian transgender community is such a learning 
tool for the rest of us or, or for everybody within that community, but really for community at large, is because it, it's, for me, it was a coming out experience knowing what deity I was really connected to because it was really just acknowledging who I was all along and who society had told me to be doesn't fit with that other person. And then you have that moment, which I perceive of as the actual coming out moment, where you have to make the conscious choice to no longer sublimate your who you are to who they expected. And uh, to me, that's the crux of the coming out experience. And when it's put into those terms, at least in my head, it's very universal. I don't see why, um, you know, and why I use a lot of gay culture references to my heterosexual life because I don't see myself really apart from anybody gay, you know? You're one of my best friends, you're gay, and I don't see it as any sort of dividing point. Um, everything you experience as a gay man, minus some very literal things, <laughs> are, um, are, very, are very much, you know, are very relatable to me. Otherwise, why would you ask me questions about my life mm. if they didn't really apply to you? And, and similarly, how could I have any sort of conversation, let alone a friendship with you, if I didn't find so much common ground? And I do with all of my lesbian, gay, and transgender friends, who I wish I honestly had more of. But, you know, mm. the ones I have have all been really some of the greatest friends in my life. Really great allies. You should become a member of the South Asian um, Coalition, I believe it's called, in New York City. I became a lot of when I lived in New York City I became friends with them and I went to their parties and the parties were awesome <laughs> and I think they still have them so it's something you guys might want to check out that's worth checking out I'm, I'm glad we, we throw great parties <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we can be so insular at times the parties are kind of a drag it's like I'm everybody's glad. so celebratory everybody's dancing everybody's sweat on everybody and that's the only times that uh, those parties that I really didn't mind people sweat like falling <laughs> on me <laughs> or being sticky with everyone because the energy at those parties are just amazingly loving, beautiful. Um, everybody's talking to you, they don't, you know, and nobody cares if you know their accent is too thick or or they, you know. That's my experience. That's an amazing experience. I'm I'm really glad. Uh, you know. To be honest, um, I honestly don't have to see how people view South Asians sometimes because I'm sometimes because I'm I am a South Asian like uh, ethnically or at least I appear that way. But uh, to me, you don't. I wouldn't confuse you for a South Asian person. So I'm imagining they wouldn't either. So for them to see you and be loving and accepting, that's great because those are the aspects of my culture and my people. That, I, that, that just really make me loyal to them, that make me loyal to India, Indian culture, Indian people. But I know that we can really fall short of that mark a lot of times, mm. socially, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I try Like Daron Ravi, which wasn't gay, but some of us in the gay community kind of speculate <laughs> because of what he did to <laughs> no matter what Tyler Kamanti. Yeah, no matter what he, what he was... He certainly didn't know how to handle it. Even if he if he was homosexual, he didn't know how to handle being homosexual or mm. uh, heterosexual or homosexual. Mm. So whatever he was, it's not what he was. It was his inability to handle it, his his unpreparedness to face who he was, mm. not face who his roommate was. Mm. You know, his roommate was his roommate. He was he was just a he was just a young man, just like him. But but 
that young man didn't know how to be uh, heterosexual, and if he's homosexual, he certainly didn't know how to be homosexual or anything else. So that's really falling short of the mark of falling short of himself. Mm-hmm. It's not about necessarily even disappointing any of us. I certainly felt disappointed, but that's not what should be important to him. When he heals himself, he should really look in the mirror and be like, "What kind of man was I actually supposed to be?" Or you know, and that's what I hope for all my people. I hope he eventually ends up going to one of those parties and realizing how fun gay people are and how how serious they are, not as a, not like serious, but serious they are as how human we all are, mm. you know? And that it was, that was such a ridiculous thing to focus on. You know, now that I'm thinking about the organization, it's called, uh, I believe it's called the South Asian uh, Gay and Lesbian Coalition, and I'm going to really try. I'm actually I'm going to find it. I'm going to link it to the show notes for everybody who's interested in New York City or who's traveling to New York City. So um, now let's get more back into the deities um, in sure. Hindu. Um, well, we got to know a little bit about you, and also just to throw out, out there for all you geeks who are listening uh, Ishan is also a computer geek he almost went into majoring for computer science yeah <laughs> absolutely but he followed the path of divinity which I'm really grateful for and he still follows computer technology and stuff I so. do I do I just can't program as well as I maybe should be <laughs> me neither yeah. once again I'm breaking the stereotype there so, <laughs> <laughs> so um, now, the pantheon of the deities in Hindu religion, which um, you brought up a very interesting fact to me because, you know, even though I have past life memories of my Indian life in India, um, especially in ancient times, that still doesn't, I believe, doesn't give me um, a clear indication of what Indian society is today or really what it was back then because I really don't have a full understanding and you kind of kind of reawakened me kind of to that and you brought up some interesting points that we started to gra- cover and I and I thought it was you know would you know you would be a great asset to this series that I'm trying to do here with Galas Galas and that is now in Hindu um, which before Hindu religion there was the Vedic um, religion or society. Yes. And I don't even think it was so much of religion than a spiritual way of life, right? Yeah, you could you could think of it almost akin to um, to the the Buddhist concept, which is um, there are there are sects of Buddhism that have what you could consider deities, and there are sects that are completely absent of that. But what is very unifying to the Buddhist belief is that there is a certain lifestyle, and it shouldn't be followed for um, moral reasons, one could say, um, which are slightly abstracted, but um, for, in a way, health reasons, you know, uh, much like you, let's say, shouldn't smoke. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people even listening to this who would disagree with that, but um, this, the simple idea is that make if, if you're going to smoke, smoking uh, does certain things to your body, especially if you're going to use polluted, um, polluted smoke. Mm. With, with, uh, to put into your body but if you're going to smoke there needs to be a reason for it and a way of a way of dealing with it because your body is going to have a hard time dealing with it so then maybe you have to have a spiritual way of dealing it to keep your body cleansed mm-hmm. which is brings us to the Americas where smoking is not just uh, you know something you do it's not a recreation but smoking is a deep spiritual function now when I 
speak about the Americas, I'm talking about the indigenous American cultures that, that grew here, not the ones that came over from Europe. But, um, you know, tobacco was plentiful here, and tobacco was used and was a medicine, but it doesn't, in my view, in my interpretation, I, I'll, I'll go out on them to say it, I didn't find tobacco to be any more healthy on a physical level, aside from the purity, the level of purity, they don't pollute it with toxic chemicals mm -hmm. and things like that, but the tobacco itself still has the same health effects that tobacco does physically, but it's taken in such a way that there's spiritual elements, there's emotional elements, there's social elements that mitigate that. Similarly, if you have a social problem that you can't deal with, then there, there's physical things you can take to help you with those things. So it's a holistic view of life. And when there's a holistic view, there's a certain pattern to things. Mm -hmm. and when you've had thousands of years and thousands of m or millions of people experimenting with it, you start to see the pattern and you start to go, you know what, let's write this down for everybody and this is maybe how you should conduct yourself and if you want to go against it, here are some ways to protect yourself and so on and so forth. But basically, this is a very long, uh, long-winded <laughs> answer to the fact that... Long-winded. Yes, exactly. Breathe. Um, but yes, it's, it's just long-winded of saying that the Vedic... Um, religion before that was exactly that kind of a that kind of an entity where it was really a, a an attempt to make an organized like a manual for life as we all wish there sometimes is a manual where you look at it and you can understand why things are happening what are pushing things um, how you can take control of your destiny as much as you can and how much you can simply um, faith with faith I mean faithfully um, let go of the need for control at other times. Mm. So how you can go with the flow, quite simply, how you can go with the flow is ultimately what the Vedic scriptures were about, how to feel comfortable doing that, be assertive when necessary, and be devout at other times. Mm. And know when's when. Thank you for, and I'm even getting a more, be better understanding now of Vedic, um, Vedic traditions and just Vedic way of life and spirituality. Thank you. Um, so, you know, from the Vedic, from that root system, you know, came out um, Hinduism later on, several years later after colonization from the British in India. Um, and I'm not saying that Hinduism came because of the British, but I'm just saying that it was just a marking in that period of time in, in Indian culture. Sure. Um, and then, you know, those gods or deities from Vedic, you know, from the Vedas, you know, came in through into Hinduism and were still kept a lot of them. Yes, yes. Um, most of them. Oh, let me, let me say. Well, let's start with Shiva. Sure. If you don't mind me taking the reins a little bit. Um, because, you know, as you we were talking, I was, I kind of like started like putting two and two together. Um, ha we're having a lot of aha moments. And I, I, don't be surprised, audience, if you, you listeners are really having aha moments as we're talking as well. Because that's what we're here to do. <laughs> um, you know, I pulled out the card Eek Wind, uh, which is regeneration and life, life force. Mm hmm. Um, and you are a Shiva devotee. Yes. Isn't that a coincidence? Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I could definitely say I could definitely say so. And Shiva is. Shiva is 
Um, oddly, I, I don't know if there's a if there's a single word I could use to sum him up. I guess the best one would be transformation, but um, but he's co typically called uh, the destroyer, and the reason he's called that is he's linked to death. But the reason I say transformation is because he's also the one who makes way for life, which is to say, all creation is destruction, and all destruction is creation, and there's no duality to it. It is, we perceive it as humans with our limited um, understanding of the universe, or our limited capacity for the universe, to understand the universe, have to think about it in terms of dualities, beginning, end, life, death, birth, death, that sort of a thing. But really, for, for the gods, for the higher spiritual beings, the ones who have been given a larger capacity, a longer lifetime, a larger incarnation, all these other things, they're equipped to really inhabit both these things at once. And Shiva is both life, or I shouldn't say life and death, he, he's birth and death, or to put them both together, death and, death and birth. So Sib will be the card. The second card that I pulled out for the week would be more correspondent to Shiva, because it's about rebirth. Yeah, I would. I would think so. I would think so. Um, and I would. I. But I would say that um, in keeping with where we're going to go, probably later in this interview, um, Eek sounds more wind and life sounds more in line with Krishna, which is the other major deity. Um, in the pantheon of, of Hindu gods, who is life? Mm. Who is life and love? He again is a maybe it's something we in the West consider a duality, but uh, certainly in India we we consider it not a duality but a, a unity of concept, which is life and love. So the meaning between the two of them is simply Shiva is death and birth, and it simply means that you never have one without the other. Any time you destroy something, you're creating something. And any time you're creating something, you're destroying something. And that's simply the way of that's the way of the universe. And that's Balance. the way of all the universes that have come before and will come after. Um, and similarly, Krishna is life and love. And a very a, a very serious reality of that that we tend to forget and tend to uh, disbelieve, but is I guarantee you one hundred percent truth is that anytime you're doing one, you're doing the other. Anytime mm. you're living, you're loving. And anytime you're loving, you're living. Mm. So just be aware that you're doing both. So, if for all intent purposes of the reading, also to give more meaning to it, we can say and validate here that Eek would be more aligned with Krishna and Wind also with love. Mm. And it brings even more meaning to me with the experience I had with my tribal brother when the Wind came up to us while we were meditating and praying and and then all of a sudden, my tribal brother said, that's the ancestors, you know, caressing us. And I, I believe so, because um, Krishna is the, is the incarnation of, of what we call perfect love. Now, mm. that word is a loaded word in the West, but what we mean there is a complete and holistic love, a love that touches you on all levels of your heart, your spirit, your body, your mind, everything. It goes through all your, all your chakras. And to really tie in with what you're saying on a cosmic level, the instrument of Krishna is the flute, and he plays a musical wind that carries his love throughout the entire universe mm. that we all move to. So, Which is also a phallic symbol. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And that brings me to asking you more about 
um, his homosexuality because he has a bisexuality to him because he's depicted, you know, with his lover uh, Radha, mm-hmm. and he's also depicted. Um, I haven't really seen homosexual paintings or anything like that of the sort, but you have experience. Yes, yes, actually, um, both on my my personal upbringing and in in sort of my professional life, um, a lot of a lot of the work that was done to prove to the West that homosexuality was um, ubiquitous throughout the world and completely independent from one society to another. It wasn't some disease that spreads from place to place. It had no like point of origin or patient zero. It wasn't a mental imbalance. A lot of going towards proving that to the scientific community so it would be at least accepted among um, institutions of learning in the West hopefully the society abroad we're still working on that but you know society abroad here in the or here those who subscribe to western beliefs um was actually uh to go to a lot of different cultures which includes my own india and seeing that homosexuality was completely and independently portrayed uh openly at least in my culture and in many cultures um and it's, it wasn't a disease, and it wasn't something that came from somewhere else. It just organically develops. It's part of the human experience. Homosexual, transgender, fluid sexuality, all these, pe- all these things are part of us as humans. And uh, any uh, attempt by fundamentalist, heterosexual, <laughs> sterilizationists... Uh, Chick-fil-A. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's how we got onto all this. It was because we started talking about Chick-fil-A. And, you know, I guess I can thank them for bringing such intellectual conversation, <laughs> meaningful, you know, dissonance into my life uh, through our conversations because, you know, you always got to look for for the for the good in situations like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's exactly right. It's exactly right. <laughs> that situation brings out all these feelings for me because anytime I see intolerance for gay people um i'm i'm confused and flustered to the point of anger and then i have to calm down and figure out how to love so Mm. it always brings about all these conversations because it's my own it's my own working out of of how hate and love reside within within each other so there you go so and there are other um in the pantheon of hindu gods who against them from the Vedas, which this just fascinates me, um, as you can tell. Um, uh, there are other deities also who have lesbian tendencies or are actually, you know, have like bisexual or lesbian roles. Um, like Lakshmi, even though she is Shiva's um, wife, he, she is also depicted as having bisexual um, relations as well. Sure, sure. In fact, um, I said to you, and I, I stand by it. I'm, if I'm if I'm proven wrong, yes, no, please send it wrong. in. Yeah, if yeah. anybody is going to prove us wrong, please send in your facts, and I'm, I'll be happy to air yeah. it then by the next show. And you know, you'll you'll have to deal with the emails, but I'll still put out there that even if you simply disagree, let me know. I always love different points of view. Me this too. Is, this is definitely this is what I've this is what I found through. Um, through my studies, my experience, my living, living it, all these things together. And um, I, I said to you, and I'll repeat again and go on record as saying that it really with the exception of maybe maybe one, um, one deity that I know of, 
almost all of the deities have a fluid sexuality, whether that be uh, uh, homosexual experiences um, or transgender experiences, gender swapping. Um, there are so many different things, and they they call upon their devotees to actually follow that lot too. I mean, there's there, that's why in the in the ancient form of my culture, and again, when I say ancient, I simply mean you know before the 1500s, you know, before British contact and things of that sort. Um, it really was there. Really was more acceptability of fluid gender. I, I just talk about fluid gender just because I don't say everything over and over again but you know you should like use uh my new word well as actually this new word that i not created genderful really <laughs> i don't disbelieve i love the word but uh i believe i was there that night i believe i i worked i worked towards the creation of that word too but yes absolutely i believe that i believe that genderful is a, i i love the concept and i really hope it takes it takes flight you know and uh, you heard it here first on this podcast, on these podcasts. So <laughs> cite your references. But um, but yeah, it, it, that's why I love it. It's genderful because I don't see um, you know. Well, you can be you can you can be what you are. You know, if you're homosexual, you're homosexual. And I'm not gonna you know. Sometimes people use fluidity, mm-hmm. uh, sexual fluidity, gender fluidity, mm-hmm. identity, um, and its fluidity as a tool to undermine the concept or rather the proven I won't say you know I don't like to talk in absolutes but really the the really well accepted scientific data that that goes along with the experience of gay people being just like straight people in the sense that you know what you are (laughs) you know and it's not you only you only have to gay people only simply have to discover it because it's not given to them as an option Mm. when they're young you know and um, mm-hmm. and you know, in, in in the midst of all of that, I don't like to hear about gender fluidity being used for intolerance. Like, oh, you know, gay people are just making decisions or thinking that, or you know, they chose this, that they chose that. Some of it you choose, and some of it you don't. You know, I come from a culture that believes very heavily in destiny. And growing up in that situation, there's really uh, a huge internal conflict for everybody, gay, straight, whatever, male, female, anything. Yeah. Uh, to really figure out how much of this is my free choice, how much of this was written beforehand, <laughs> and coming to terms with all, what all of that means. And I've, I've just come to the conclusion that it's very simple for me, um, although the ramifications of it are cosmic, uh, that everything is written and you have a choice in everything at the same time. You know, and that mm. seems very vague, but in the reality is, you're you're dealt a hand. You know, to use Western terms, you're dealt a hand, and it's how you play it. Mm-hmm. You know, that when you're playing poker, it's not the cards on the table; it's the relationship between you and whoever you're whoever you're playing against with, whatever however you want to see it. And that relationship is m- far more important than the cards on the table. But that doesn't change the fact of the cards on the table. <laughs> So true, so true. So you can say that um, it's, you know, the whole pantheon of um, most of the pantheon of of deities in Hindu spirituality um, 
have this level, well, has a huge acceptance towards homosexuality and actually express it at one time or another. There's no one particular um, deity that is gay per se, but who embodies actually this two-spiritedness, which is Shiva. Yes, yeah, he most, he most, um, who's actually has two, and he has genitals also, like, some, in some instances he's protect, uh, predict, um, portrayed, or, uh, I was going to say, um, the other word, which is, um, which starts with a P, uh, oh, no, depicted, that was it, <laughs> as, with genitals, and then without genitals, I mean, the Shiva that I grew up, um, uh, learning about, and remembering about actually as a you know just past life recall on its own was Shiva, and I never really saw Shiva as that he she mm. <laughs> or um, two spirited person or transgender. Well, he's not really. Well, I guess I don't know a hermaphrodite. Genderful. Genderful, right? <laughs> Genderful <sighs> Shiva. So my question there um, would be that you know overall on the heart you know, hardcore of the spirituality, homosexuality, um, is not frowned upon. No, not at it's all. It's actually part of the ever-expanding cosmos, universe, our, so well, East Indian society. Sure. I, in in fact, India. it's foundational. I mean, the, the, a lot of what, a lot of what happens in a lot of our stories, there are moments where, um, and this is true, actually, of other ancient cultures as well, but it's certainly very marked in, in my culture. The stories that we have, there are certain instances where things cannot happen. You know, there's no solution to the, to the situation. Then um, for somebody to switch gender um, or the, the right thing to do is to be with somebody of the same gender, uh, our, our stories are filled with that concept. Uh, for me... The first time I encountered it, I mean, I, I would say probably one of two things. I can't remember which one I actually experienced first. One was G, uh, just seeing Shiva and saying, who's that girl? She looks like Shiva. And having explained to me that that also was Shiva. Shiva, uh, in many in many depictions, but I guess you know they're not as widely distributed these days, is um, he's uh, he looks male but he has female breasts um and he i believe he has a vagina um but they i mean that's not really part of the de depiction and he also has a penis so like a fully hermaphroditic uh portrayal of him so that was one thing that i was i was introduced to and it wasn't a shock to me i was just like oh okay it's just a simple correction you know um and then the other one, which was much more striking and shocking to me, came when I was a little bit a little bit older. I was still a child at the time, and it's a simple story, and you can find this in the Bhagavad Gita. And um, that was a story of. And the Bhagavad Gita is uh, one of the Hindu Bibles. Yes, yes, so you could definitely think of it. it's one of the major texts in um, Hindu philosophy and religion. And recording of uh, East Indian. Uh, history also. Yes, it's actually, basically it's a parable um, and it takes place uh, during one of the major wars in the shaping of, of India, what would later become India. And there's a war between uh, a family, a royal family, and it split down the middle and it split the population and they had to go to war. 
and one of them was guided by one of them led by a prince named Arjun was met with the god Krishna who became his advisor and his advisor was telling Krishna was telling Arjun about the fact that this war has already happened the gods have already seen it those of us who live throughout time already know this war has happened so you simply need to carry out your destiny to the best of your ability it's a very hard thing to consider for any of us especially in a country that believes in um, freedom of choice the way that the United States purports to at least <laughs> but, but the way we think we do and we try and, yeah and independence and, and freedom and all these things and um, and Arjun was the same way he was a young man and simply um, had to learn how to be okay with what he could control and accepting what he couldn't control and uh, he was really put to the test because it was a, a war with basically his own family and in one battle he was told to put transgender people on the front line mm. to gather up all the transgender people oh my god and put them on the front line and they're not warriors in in my society there um I'm not sure if there are transgender warriors in our history. I'm not opposed to the idea that there are, but mostly they're spiritual people. Mostly they're very spiritual people. And they are heralded as such. And they are naturally spiritual people, which is to say um, they, have, they have been given the challenge and the gift of having to walk two paths. What we would call in, in, my, in my culture... Uh, medicine, those lessons, and, and I've spoke about it in the podcast also. Two spirited people are, are regarded in high standards, and how uh, special divinity, divinatory way, and how um, we're a gift from God. One hundred percent. That's actually exactly how we speak about them. In the fact, wow, that really? Exactly. We're they're considered oh God. from God. This is the first time I ever heard that coming from East Indian. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you've spoke, if, if you speak to anybody who has had this discussion with me or heard this story that I'm telling, um, and you ask them about it, I actually use the exact words: "They are a gift from God." Oh my God! Every time, and that's because that's how it's written. I learned that from my first experience with a Dene person, a Navajo person. A traditional Navajo person. Yeah, it's 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 an amazing um, thread that links a lot of ancient ancient cultures that still remember their roots, and um, and I respect it very much. It's an, it's another thing that I really respect. Again, also your term twin spirit or two spirited people, you know, for homosexual people or trans for transgender people. I think that's really fitting because that's exactly why they're a gift mm. in our culture. <laughs> you know, it, it's because they can cross a boundary that so few of us are able to. Mm -hmm. You know, even even if you're uh, straight, whatever, male or female, and you're very open and liberal, there's still a very small chance you're actually going to be able to cross that barrier in our, especially in the culture I come from. You know, worldwide in the modern time, like in the current contemporary times. Um, maybe that's different. I, I don't know. But um, so, what happens to the Glamazons? So the Glamazons. <laughs> are I know. Right? Line. <laughs> They'll turn in next time, you know. But, um, no, but they were put on the front line because they're they're divine. They're divine people, and they um, basically what happens is in, in the ancient times, warfare began just like we do with missiles and the horrible things that we use. Begins from afar, so they use arrows, and then you move on to um, 
cavalry and then into hand-to-hand -hand fighting and it gets very brutal very quickly um, but it begins with arrows and when Arjun put those people in the front he knew because he was family with the with his opposing force with, his, with who are now his enemies that those people played by the same rules he did and in the rules of my country back in those days you cannot do violence to a transgender person that's a sin. Mm. It's a sin to do that. To, you are destroying a gift from God, and that's not your right. Even in warfare, mm. where you know rules about thou shalt not kill and things like that get muddied, that rule doesn't break ever. And when that happened, he put those he put those people out in front, and they did. They stood out there because they were not warriors, but they were so brave that they they stood and they walked straight into the. In, in front of that army. Wow. And what happened was not a single archer who was led by a very important uncle of Arjun on the opposing you know, he was on the opposing side but he was Arjun's uncle and had trained wow. and had trained Arjun. <laughs> told his archers it doesn't matter what happens you will not fire. And then Arjun with a heavy heart unloosed his arrows on the opposing army and defeated them. Wow. And that was a tactic that was used, but it was a tactic that could only work if men were willing to die rather than violate the divinity of transgender people. Mm. Because his uncle knew, his uncle was not an, an idiot. He, did, he knew what not firing meant. It meant that his nephew would kill him and all of his men, hundreds of thousands of men. And to make that sacrifice, because we understand that there are so few we've been given so few transgender people compared to the rest of us mm -hmm. that they must be protected because of the divinity they bring it's a future it's a future thinking you know way it's a, f a future based way of thinking you know then these people need to survive you know they need to teach other generations we need these people in our world then, and they are, as I keep repeating, they are gifts from God, and that you've also <laughs> independently verified from your own cultural roots. They are a gift from God and um, should be treated as such. And to me, it was so striking because, you know, as a young man, I, I can't imagine not defending myself, not, not yeah. fighting, you know, in war. What a what a manly, macho engagement, and for it to be so diffused. Uh, for that bloodlust to be so diffused by transgender people shocked me that that would be in our stories, but it also rang very true mm. to me, which told me something about my allegiance to um, humanity, but also to my, my cultural roots and my traditions. It just sounded so right to me, you know? I mean, I, I have a problem with violence against anybody or any of these things, but at the same time, it really offends me when sexually oriented violence takes place, it's mm. particularly it's particularly offensive to me. I, I wish I haven't. I can I can either support or defend it or anything like that. I just tell you how I feel, and um, so that part that part really stuck with me and really told me that you know what, if I'm going to be true to my roots, I have to be accepting of people who, mind you, up on that day when I heard that story, I had not a single openly gay friend wow or I, I knew of no openly gay person in my life 
I didn't even know of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew they gay people existed as a concept, mm-hmm. but uh, I didn't know any personally. Now, since then, many people that I knew at that time have come out as gay, <laughs> but at the time they were not openly gay people, so I didn't register as that. And of course, we're a <laughs> fairly dense kid, so I couldn't just see it. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so in my world, there were no actual gay people to talk to. Lo and behold, we were like waving our hands behind signs and rocks. <laughs> Like the Smurfs. Uh, it, it, it's, ama- it's amazing how you can miss all those signs when you're facing the other direction. You know, it's just really. But um, I'm glad Hi, I Sean, came I'm Smurfette. <laughs> Smurfy to see you too. Wow. Now, how do you, when it comes to this knowledge and also homosexuality and 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 in the pantheon of Hindu gods uh, and deities, how is um, the concept of lovers come about and soulmates? Like, you, you know, my first encounters with um, a reawakening to East Indian culture, spirituality, and religion actually came through the realm of of me. F- uh, you know, I've always been fascinated by the metaphysics since I was very, very young, since I was like seven, five, you know, since a lot of paranormal stuff happened to me. And um, and I used to read a lot, and I used to spend a lot of time in the library, the geek <laughs> I am. And, uh, and I read books on different religions also and cultures and stuff, and, and the concept of uh, soulmates, really, I, I found through my reading of Karma, and um, to me, it was, you know, at such a very young age, I think it was probably 11 or 12, you know, during one summer, as I'm recalling right now, um, this all, like, you know, opened my mind up. And um, the fact that you have somebody who completes you uh, from time to time or every 100 years or whatever the time frame may be, um, which really there isn't no time frame. <laughs> it just sort of happens when you, you reunite with those people. But um, but what I learned then about karma and this whole again, karma is also illustrated by the vulture in Mayan um, um, spirituality um, and culture. So um, bringing it back to Sieb again, <laughs> which I think it's really funny because I'm going through a soulmate thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is how we really got into this whole conversation and just me picking your brain out a lot and you generously giving of yourself um, karma you know kind of is a way of cycling things and renewing things um, you know people say karma is a bitch without thinking that's like this boomerang effect but it's more to that you know and and it's also like this way of renewing and coming back and, and, and just, you know, resurfacing and, and just for completion, you know, just to, to ex- you know, I think, you know, now that I'm talking about it, it seems like a way of longevity, you know, of our spirits um, and just the universe, the conceptual part of the universe, you know, to continue this continuum, which then we get into samsara, and I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> Shot is like laughing, big Kool-Aid smile. Uh, it's, it's just the, the, the idea of handling karma without handling samsara is, is just uh, 
it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna run with my right leg. I'm gonna leave my left leg for the next block. You know? How do you pronounce it? Samskara. Samskara. Yeah. Uh. So karma, karma. Just just to do a little vocab definition is um, karma. Again, like you say, most people think of it as a boomerang thing, and it has that effect. And that's the most uh, dramatic or sort of sexy kind of way to think about it in the West. But really, the foundation of the idea is karma is. Um, that which is left undone. Hmm. That which is left undone. And it works in both ways. You know, you, a lot of us, again, in the West, we think a lot of things like vengeance and things like that, which is if you've been wronged or if you've done something wrong, you have to write that. And that is definitely a part of karma. But the thing that a lot of people don't know is that if you do something right, that's also karma. Hmm. So, you know, if you um, become a billionaire, which in our culture would be considered good, that is an imbalance that you must write. Mm. So, you know, I mean, if you want to, no use wonder it, I haven't hit the lottery. Exactly. <laughs> Next time around, my friend. But yeah, it's 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 the it's a true it's a true balance. You're not supposed to, um, and it includes things that we would find very very strange in this culture. If you become very good at something, that's a karma you have to make up. If you become an excellent guitar player. And you move people to tears with your guitar playing. And if you're Eric Clapton or, um, you know, whomever, any sort of, any sort of, uh, if you were Jimi Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> when he came back, had to make up the karma for his guitar playing. Wow. And so a lot of people don't understand that. It's about balance. It's not about right or wrong. It's about balance. So if you become excessively good at something, you are going to have to balance that when you come back and that brings us to samskara which is kind of the nuts and bolts of karma that's which interesting I learned it samskara as samsara in Tibetan Buddhism ah uh, well we uh, you know we have like 5,000 dialects in yeah there, so <laughs> words, uh, words are pronounced very differently all over the place so I, I never correct anybody's pronunciation of uh, of Indian words I just pronounce it how I say it and if they feel corrected they can be corrected if they're like that's how i learned it as you have totally acceptable there are no spelling mistakes in india <laughs> so when we get when we apply this to the undone the on karma um the imbalance and balancing because that's a duality there um yin and a yang so <laughs> so to speak um soulmates are kind of like that yin and the yang also right Absolutely. Like, they are constantly, um, you know, fulfilling every period or so whenever the appropriate time allows in the universe um, to come together and to fulfill some certain karma. Mm -hmm. And that karma could be anything, really, right? Like, either, like, unifying and being married for life to not being unified and just having short brief moments of interludes or sure. they even have they even have um, a place for the absence of a soulmate oh really yeah so um, if you have a soulmate tell us more about that I've never heard about that <laughs> well just remember the concept of balance and remember what I also said that it applies to, the, to what we would call the good as well as the bad so if you have a lifetime where you meet your soulmate and you marry and you spend your life together on the most intimate levels um, then there's also that's a that's a excess that's an excessive attachment to your soulmate 
and you will eventually and when you that action is a samskara to help i mean if people are aware or unaware i'm not sure but uh, samskaras are means uh, things that stay with you to the next life so whatever you did in let's say this life it's a collection right yeah, yeah it's 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 what you collect it's what, what you, you collect. what you what you attach to you know so if you were in a, if you were caught in a circle of violence in your next life that violence was attached to you and it's going to be attached to the next to you unbeknownst to you and you're going to have to work that you you will either hold on to it continue to hold on to it or work through it in that lifetime also applies to good things as well like i said going back to if you if you learn how to play music really well or become a great artist or an amazing mathematician or um, make a, mil- a billion dollars or whatever mm. if you become attached to that it will follow you into the next life <laughs> now that sounds like a good thing but it, it also means it's going to be a karma you're going to have to work out mm. um, so with soulmates if you become attached to them in a, in a very big way um, if you become attached to them in a very big way which you know why wouldn't you and we all are seeking our soulmates we seek that that excessive attachment it's a karma that you you have to learn from later on down the road if you haven't already mm. which is which can be an absence of your soulmate and that's a scary concept but it's something your soul needs to learn and wow. that's what the process of the soul life is the soul life which is much more vast than our physical life the soul life which is uh, in- eternal and has to go through many incarnations it has to learn everything which includes the sorrow of never finding your soulmate which sounds like a downer but um, that's that part of our belief and that sorrow there is a sorrow to it but there's other things in life there's other devotions in life there are other soulmates in a way in life and um, again, yeah, there's like self. Well, I've now, as an adult, have come to learn with furthermore um, instruction and, and study in my life. There are things that are called a soul family, a, like you know, like the soul collective beyond you know the larger aspect of humanity, <laughs> which is the soul collective, but also like soul friends. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's many and varied because we also have even even within our lifetimes. In, in the Hindu tradition, there are many different types of intimacies. So your immediate concept of when you find your soulmate, the most intimate connection you have is to be married with them and have a family with them. Um, yeah, that's to, that's my that was that was my preconceived notion when I. Sure, and and that's that's a before really expanding yeah, my and, knowledge. Well, and but that's a beautiful natural way of thinking about it. Where we are very um, loving, attaching creatures. And that's one of the outlets we have for it, which is family, to create a family with that person and to, uh, to experience them in that way. But um, in India, we have many other ones as well. You know, there are people who, um, th- in those, those paths, those tools we mm-hmm. have to explore, we call those dharmas. Those tools are called dharmas? Dharmas, yeah. Mm. So the family... And the pursuit of family, right? That's what we—that's why I learned also. Okay, uh-huh. uh huh. Career is another one. You know, the concept of being married to your work is actually a literal concept in in my in my culture. So you can actually forsake your family um, or the, the dharma of raising a family for work, mm. and the work is your soulmate. 
Mm, that's interesting, really. Yeah, and then there are also there's also spiritual devotion, and that one you you again literally have to forsake your family because you're not you're not allowed to have a family because your your family is the spiritual, your family is the spirit, which includes everybody, huh. but none physically. The collective. So um, you completely forsake. Um, once again, in the in the Gita. Uh, a discussion between Arjun and Krishna that was very enlightening to me was that the um, was that there are nine dharmas and even the gods with their infinite life only one of the gods Krishna can accomplish all nine in his lifetime oh my god he is the only he is the only being that can uh, accomplish all nine in his lifetime is that because he's love it's because he's love, it's because he is life, and it's because he is destined to live for the entire length of the entire universe. He's the only being that will live that long. Wow. And uh, because talk of... about the, immortality. Yeah, and uh, talk about responsibility, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, oh my God. Um, but for all of us who live much, much shorter lifetimes, if you can accomplish one or two dharmas in your lifetime, you are considered a, one of the most highly accomplished humans by design um so and and but teams as in soulmate teams no no I, what i mean to say is if you accomplish it if you accomplish one or two of your your dharmas you're considered a highly uh, you you've led a very good life a very rich and full life only if you accomplish one or two not even the other seven or eight that are left over and you're not supposed to that's why we keep coming back because for us to accomplish all nine we have to go through enough lifetimes to last the span of the universe, which means we probably won't. And the point of that lesson to him was that, the lesson to Arjun from Krishna was, it's not our responsibility to. It's not on our shoulders to have a family, have a job, have a spiritual thing. You know, each life has its course. All mm. those things will be something we come up against. But we really only have the capacity to focus on one at a time in a lifetime and wow. really devote our life to that to really be ourselves and to truly be happy and it will come in other lifetimes those other things and it will come through this aspect of balance if you are a very spiritual person and devoted fully to spirit and didn't have a family and all these other things when you come back maybe not in the next life maybe in the one after that um, you'll, you'll you will devote yourself you will be the type of person that devotes themselves to family and not so much the spirituality, because your soul will be balancing itself. It will learn how to live with this other thing and without the thing it used to live with. Mm. And that's the learning process for our soul. It's very similar to our personal learning spirit, that learning experience, but on a much vaster level <laughs> and a much more wise level than any of us are. Oh my God! Yeah. Life. Oh my God. That's that's like completely opened my mind, Vishan. Like, I mean, it just makes so much more sense why I've had so many short-term relationships and not one full long one, which I kind of had one full long one for three years. It was off and on, off and on, off and on. And through it all, my journey has been to be content with myself and be myself. And that is what the universe always kept on bringing back to my lap and back to my heart, um, especially in my weakest moments. And, and I've had many very, you know, really brief interludes and short-term relationships and people who come back into my life, which one has kind of come back into my life right now, kind of, um, in a roundabout way through a personal site. Um, 
that I frequent on and um, okay Cupid and um, and life just you know brings us back together for some reason because we bump each other and you know one of us well mostly me I always awaken that person uh, him and I, I I'm like you know I don't know who he is right away but then when I'm in contact with him and I'm kissing him or we're talking or whatever it is I look into his eyes it's mostly in the eyes uh, there was one time it was all in the kiss, but <laughs> I was like, this feels unreal, I know you from somewhere, and and then he gets like a little, you know, queasy, and he, he's, you know, he's kind of like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and then when I start spewing things, you know, he got freaked out, he was like, how do I know you? And then I have to jog his memory, and it's like, you know... And so, but, you know, it's only happened in brief instances, mm -hmm. and they were pleasurable to a certain extent, and I did my karma there, you know? I was supposed to reawaken him, because I was already awakened, yeah. and I continue to awaken myself to other things as I am right now, and everyone else who's listening, by the way, uh, <laughs> we're awakening you, <laughs> so to speak, um, but um, even though we don't know you... Uh, um, and who knows, maybe the people who are listening are part of this cell collective that <laughs> we have been part of over and over again. But my, my thing with bringing this up and identifying with what you're saying is that um, I had to come content in my lifetime uh, and still to today that even though I really don't have these things necessarily that my peers do, which are really great relationships... Um, dogs, you know, you know, up-to-date furniture, clothing, cars, TV, flat panel, computers, Macintoshes, the latest iPhone, you know, <laughs> like, like that, that shouldn't matter because when I die, I'm not taking that with me. Mm -hmm. I only take with me either the happiness or the sorrow that I experience here and who I experience that with. So, um... You know, that, you know, I'm really touched by what you've been saying to me today and for this last two weeks. <laughs> I'm really happy, you know, um, to be part of your life and that you're a part of my life. Um, it makes me more, much more of a richer person. And believe me, every time I take away something from somebody, I'm passing that on to somebody else. And you, I'm sure you're, <laughs> you're nodding your head, you know that. <laughs> Let's get into a little more about... Um, Let's further the, the conversation a little more about soulmates. Uh, I think we really outlined for everyone exactly, you know, from the East Indian sure. way of seeing this um, about soulmates and reunions and stuff, and is it meant to be or not? And and then you gave a really something that I haven't even touched on, even through the books that I've been in through. Um, but you have a story that you started to tell me, and I kind of stopped you so that we can tell it to everyone else here on the podcast so we can talk about a little bit more and enlighten ourselves about, you know, um, the role of transgender homosexual people in East Indian philosophy and, and religion, I mean, spirituality, as well as the concept of soulmate and love, right? Yes. So, and this is a story about um, concubines, so, so to speak, because they're, sure. they're not really seen as concubines. Yeah, it's a it's a translationary problem. Um, I'm uh, to be honest, I I actually don't even know the word for it in my own tongue. That 
the mythical um, the mythical word for it is gopis or gopikas, and um, those are all the lovers of Krishna. Um, Krishna was married, and um, from before the time he was married up through his marriage and beyond his marriage to a to a human woman, uh, his human lover Radha, who is the perfect lover. It's the she's the mythical perfect lover. Um, but he still had relationships with these gopis and gopikas and and um, many lovers, and those lovers um, most of the time were women, but were quite frequently not. They were frequently men, uh, men who became women, women who became men, um, people who occupied both genders, uh, other deities who, of course, could switch genders at will. Um, so his he's love. You know, I mean, ultimately, uh, segueing into where where it is in culture, Krishna is along with Shiva are the two main deities. Um, above them, there is only one, and that's Brahma, who is the total unification of everything. He's the universe. Mm. He's all spiritual energy in the universe. Mm, um, that for us is Gua uh, Ataveresh, uh, <coughs> and um, she's like the over-encompassing. And, and, and to us, she's a female, mm -hmm. so she's like this really great great grandmother. <laughs> and and I, I'm actually um, projecting my own heterosexual maleness onto Brahma by calling him he. That's just the the pronoun I default to. Brahma is actually a river. Oh my God! Really? Yeah. I mean, when I say he, just like it. the river Brahma. Yeah. Just oh my like God. The river Brahma is again. When I say he, please take it with a grain of salt, knowing it's just my perspective. But Brahma, I'll just drop the pronouns. Brahma is uh, a conscious river that encompasses the entirety of this universe, past and future universes, and all existence. He's there. Brahma is <laughs> the full existence. The raw material from which all existence is created mm. and continues to exist during and after as well and so that's that's all that exists above Krishna and uh, Shiva so Krishna is the is the again as I said before life and love the, the, the unified concept of life and love as one and he needs to encompass all love and from uh, from our perspective, that includes straight, gay, transgender, any alternative sexuality that we think of, um, non-sexual love, all love, familial love, all loves, and so he enacts in his his infinite lifetime, you know, as, um, in comparison to our own, he has to experience and more importantly share with all of us and teach all of us about love. Another thing that people may not know is they, they hear the word guru probably a lot. They're probably mm -hmm. familiar with the term guru, which means mentor or teacher. Um, but when they see a guru, um, they actually are people who are so in touch with their souls, they know um, their lineage. So this person is a guru who studied under this guru who studied under back and back and back and back all the way to the first gurus and the first gurus were Krishna and Shiva mm. so speaking to a guru if they're a 
spiritual guru, their original guru, if you go all the way back, almost like uh, like you know Adam and Eve, almost you know the idea in Christianity is if you go all the way back, the original originally you're a descendant of Adam and Eve. Well, in in Hindu religion, if you're a spiritual guru, you trace and you go all the way back to Krishna. And you're, if you're an artistic guru, you trace your way all the way back to Shiva, mm -hmm. because Krishna gave us the spiritual arts, and uh, and Shiva gave us what we would call the artistic arts. Those are the two tools that they gave us to unfold the mystery of existence and mm. life. And so he has to teach us everything. And there would be no gay people. Uh, this is according to our belief, but I, I believe this is true. Um, there would be no gay people if Krishna hadn't helped people with those feelings understand what being gay is. Now, mm. I believe that he may not have been like a, a physical man, or maybe he was, but I just mean like if I think of Krishna as love, gay people wouldn't exist if love didn't include them. Right. If love didn't plan them out or at least know how to adapt to them they wouldn't exist it wouldn't be an issue for anybody and um and it did and because there's a very important reason to it it, it touches a very specific facet of love that can't be touched through heterosexual love you know now how all of this relates to the concubines well again uh so like i said um krishna was an original was one of the original gurus and he teaches love. Some of his disciples were what we don't really have a word for, but would be similar uh, in the translation are called concubines. When translated from the Vedic scripts to um, to English, was uh, was translated as concubine. Or uh, if you're familiar with Japanese culture, you could think of almost like a geisha, but slightly. Uh, I'm not gonna say more or less, but uh, but different. But uh, basically, these were people who whose job it was beyond career, but whose calling, what we would call their uh, what we would call their dharma, mm. uh, that what their calling in life was to, and what they devoted their lives to professionally was sex, love, and intimacy, and how to share it in all its forms a true a true um, intellectual mastery these were the the beyond PhDs these were the multiple PhD holders in sex love and intimacy you know way beyond even dr. Ruth for all her good work <laughs> and you know like but that that kind of the what we would call sexologists now people of those sorts um, <laughs> and even more holistic practitioner than that Somebody who really um, would, if it was appropriate, have sex with people or just share intimacy or guide people to teach them how to be in love in all its different forms. They would teach you how to be in love with your family. They would teach you how to be in love with your lover. They would teach you how to um, be in love with somebody you didn't love. Somebody that you wow. didn't feel that feeling of love for because you were going to have to marry them. You know, how to grow love in barren places and how to extinguish love when it gets out of control. Um, truly, all the facets of love. And that was what was handed down to them from Krishna, who is the embodiment of love. 
Um, so wow. the story goes, but in reality, in the reality of the society, these people existed. And there, they again, they would be in central places in society. So they would hold rank in court, in the in the royal courts, and they would entertain wow. and please all the royal people, the guests, the kings, the princes, and it would be crass to think of them as simply prostitutes, which is you know the, the what we think of, but it's not that at all. They would have sex with them if that's what was not called upon them to do if that was their duty but also if that was appropriate they were also depending on their level of experience able to to move and shape and subtly suggest what's appropriate and what's not almost kind of like liaisons or intermediaries absolutely like the chick from firefly absolutely <laughs> the um what are they called i forget i forgot I, too yeah. and i forget her name and she's awesome and <laughs> It, it, when she when it was revealed companions, companions yes companions. that's what they called them companions and when it was revealed that she was a lesbian or she you know she, she also took female clients. she took female clients I was just stunned that show like had me on the hook <laughs> absolutely and and I actually related very much to her in that show um, because of my my cultural background you know it it, it really it was meaningful to me because it is really about um, and if people are familiar with the show, if we're getting too too into our own geeky ways here, but um, but at the same time, she mentions in that scene that she chooses who she is with. Uh. You know, sometimes um, you're put into odd positions, but you really choose how and, and you mold the, the interactions that you have. Huh. And though she was a fictional character, I think she sheds a lot of light on um, exactly how these... Uh, these concubines, or I guess I'll call them, since I don't really have a word for them, um, how these these gurus of love really operated. You know, if you were uh, overbearing and wanted only sex and were really interested in violating and harming them, guess what? If you've ever met like a really experienced uh, sexual partner, you know that it's actually very hard to really force anything on them uh, <laughs> because they know how to transfer the energy. They know how to extinguish your flame. They mm. know how to, how to like the Tai Chi of love, if you will, to really use your own aggression against you and wow. put you in your place. And if they're wise enough, um, you know, I've experienced this with, with, with wise women. They know how to put your libido in check mm. and really let it be examined for what it really is. Wow. You know, and um, having experienced a small bit of that in my life, um, I could definitely see how somebody who was a guru in this would be uh, incredibly uh, an incredible adversary if I wished to do them harm in that way. Mm -hmm. But um, but they were very important. They were very important because they taught you how to do really important things in life. Now the the culture that I come from has its rigid structures. I come from a society that believes in arranged marriage, and that back at that time the arranged marriage was law. It wasn't. Uh, even if it, it, some places it was legal law, and almost unanimously it was a um, cultural law, so it would be completely unacceptable for myself once I'm married to a complete stranger. You know, once my family has decided it and I've approved it. You know, I, regardless of what people say or what you see in a lot of Bollywood movies, um, a lot of um, arranged mar most mar arranged marriages, you you get to at least confirm or deny the uh, the application, if you will. And it, it can be that almost interview. It, it, there are interviews. It's very much like getting a job, almost. Wow. Um, so it can be kind of a cold feeling process. But 
Um, you believe everybody there. You're supposed to trust that everybody there has your best interest in, at heart and that they have the other person's best interest in heart. And you're simply supposed to reveal to each other the wisdom of their decision-making. It's oh a real God. trust your elders moment. Um, but once that happens, once you're married, that's it. That, that's your partner for that for that life <laughs> and you can't have you're not supposed to be having sexual relations before that and you're not supposed to be having sexual relationships with uh, and not just sexual but intimate relationships with anybody before that and anybody else during or and sometimes even afterwards now we're talking about fasting fast forwarding history from Krishna time to present time in India yeah, we're, yeah, we're talking about hundred hundred thousand years at least of human history and 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 just I haven't really mentioned this, but you know, just like American Indian culture and history um, and lore, um, it's very ancient. East Indian goes back to eighty thousand years, right? At least there have been there there have been texts found that are a hundred, hundred twenty thousand years old. Wow, a hundred twenty thousand years old. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's there's really a a, an, a true ancientness to to both of both of our cultures that we come from wow. um, and humanity in general our shared culture of just being human is vastly older than we can actually even imagine so these gurus of love uh, were majorly women but also transgenders yes um, in fact the only reason I would say majority women is because um, just in terms of percentage of the population that are transgender is lower but um, if you look at if you look at transgender people, the percentage of transgender people that were these gurus of love or were was much higher. You know, only some a small percentage of women would become this type of woman, this type of guru. Um, but transgender people, because of the importance that was ascribed to them, most of them would go into this would go into this and they, they really were a a spiritual power and as you can tell the foundational stories of our culture highlight them as having that power and um, they teach something they teach something that um, is also taught by by the other gurus as well uh, the, the, um, but when you're transgender there's an ability to to teach the shift you know I, what? What these what these gurus are all supposed to be teaching is they're supposed to teach people who are who are only going to experience life in one way, but are taught that there are many other ways of life that they'll experience in future lifetimes, but that are also simultaneously happening all around them concurrently mm. in the other people around them. You know, our, my soul is connected to your soul, which is connected to every soul listening to me and those who aren't, and you're all living lives that I will eventually lead. Uh -huh. But you're living them concurrently, so I see you as separate. But really, you're just me at another time, and that's really the a very foundational understanding that you have to have. And in order to operate in a society like that, where you get to experience what it's like to be a a, a gay man, and I don't, to mitigate any sort of misunderstanding or feelings of alienation or separation that might come from our two different experiences, these gurus were in place to teach people like myself or yourself what it's like or what types of love exist outside of my own personal sphere. Mm. So I'm straight, but then I meet this guru who is supposed to know everything about love 
and he or she shows me that men can love men in the way that I think is reserved only for women and certainly is reserved only for women in my in my marriage let's say that's a shock but they guide me through that and help me to understand that in private places where mm. I feel safe where they can make me feel safe where they can um, un- unlock my intimacy and put a, a kinship and a friendship with gay people there deep inside my heart so that when I pack it back up, put myself back together and walk out into the street, I can feel what they what they feel, they being a gay man in this case, or anybody else. Wow. I can feel what my fellow humans can feel without having to transgress by physically going after it. I can spiritually connect to you. They were guides for spiritual connection to people who experience sexuality differently from you. They were the spiritual bridgeheads, the spiritual guides for that. And they do it by experiencing it themselves and sharing it, and sharing it as much as they can, and uh, helping you to understand in a culture that's so rigid that you're not allowed to do it physically in your lifetime, except for, you know, one way, <laughs> maybe two, <laughs> you know. Um, a, way to be, a way to be open, you know, a way to be an open culture when so much of it is structured to not be. Right. And that was actually foundational and um, existed all the way up until British colonialism, where um, the British openly, aggressively, and with the genocidal fervor annihilated all of that oh in our God. culture. They killed every family who taught this. They um, enslaved and tortured all women and killed transgender people who occupied these things. And they destroyed oh their safe havens by destroying... We had whole temples, temples the size of the ones we see in uh, Machu Picchu and and the pyramids. We had temples of that scale devoted to love. Oh, my God. And uh, each one was destroyed with tanks and guns, blown off the face of the earth. <gasps> and... Um, any references to them in other temples where that wasn't the focus but of course love is foundational to all things those particular statues were destroyed so you'll see you'll see a lot of pictures of of friezes and statues from india and like a lot of it will be intact and then suddenly there'll be one that's broken sometimes that's erosion but very often that is actually because somebody took a hammer and broke it or somebody oh fired a, a shell at it uh to specifically destroy that that's so sad uh, it's an amazingly sad thing because um, while colonization has and continues to destroy and rape cultures and lands and things yeah. like that, not to get too dark, but <laughs> that's that's been happening. In my culture, they specifically went after love. They specifically went after our method of sharing love, which I think was a great gift. And we had something which people are probably familiar with, but not in in my opinion, in a, in a real way, which is the Kama Sutra. And the Kama Sutra was a book of equal importance to the Bhagavad Gita um, and the Vedic scriptures. In fact, it was part of the Vedic scriptures. It was a major part of the Vedic scriptures. And people think of it as kind of this thing, you get Barnes & Noble to make your sex life better, or like just this pamphlet that was maybe distributed in ancient times. Mm. But it wasn't. It was a complete compendium of the entire sexual experience of hundreds of thousands of people over hundreds of thousands of years sharing with each other how their sexual experiences while differing and multifaceted and of all different flavors and types 
we're unified in humanity and how to talk to each other mm. about these things and connect to understand that what what you feel for another man is so comparable to what I feel for a woman and even how even if they feel differently in certain ways how to accept that and see the beauty in it to know that the beauty and the foundational things of of love that no matter what you feel ultimately what you feel is love and what I ultimately feel is love mm-hmm. and how to connect across all those bridges and boundaries that's what the Kama Sutra is and not simply a assortment of sexual positions wow. um, it really was a compendium of how to not be an obsessive lover you know how to feel away the crazy as opposed to <laughs> dump it on your lover how to deal with the crazy instead of accept it from your lover and you know how to um, how, how to love an enemy even when you have to kill him or be killed by him. Wow. These, are, these are amazing things that people wouldn't probably believe existed, uh-huh. but truly did. And there were, we, there were methods of doing all of these things. And because of our own ignorance and, and hatred for one another, we obliterated it off the face of the planet in its physical form. But um, a lot of what I do and what I work towards is recovering it from the spiritual plane where it very much exists because it really the physical was just a physical manifestation of truths that exist in every one of us so we're the only surviving texts now <laughs> oh my god wow i you know thank you again for sharing this story and also all these accounts and history with us uh and with me um i feel even more enriched now and and I, it, you know, you're, from what you were telling me about the Kama Sutra, it almost sounds like it was written by gurus that love, you know, and sure, yeah. and um, and it's there for us to access any time. But it, it's almost similar to you know what colonization happened in American Indian land and how with the Mayas, especially you know their their codex, their their the, a large percentage of their libraries and and stuff that was reserved for the future now for 2012 and after was burnt mm-hmm. for, so nobody can you know reap any of that some sense of control I guess I don't know but you know that was so such valuable stuff that was kind of lost but it's still with the people and passed down and you just you know you kind of have to either wait for those people to come into your life or or, 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 or you know, or just really practice it for yourself in some way, and then you, the universe kind of connects you, like connecting the dots and bringing those people into your life, like it has have happened to me actually, literally, and that's for another podcast. But um, wow, I I really feel so blessed, and thank you so much, Aaron. And you know, one thing before we go um, and wrap this up is that you. I remember talking to you about soulmates and stuff, and I think you had divulged that there's a word for soulmate in East Indian, or, and it translates to... Uh, I believe you're talking about when we spoke of soul friends. Oh, only so yeah, maybe it was soul friends. I, I'm not referring to the Irish book. Oh, I see, I see. Which, by the way, everyone... <laughs> uh, uh, <coughs> Nandi and Ishan uh, turned me on to this Irish book about soulmates and this concept of soulmates. And it's it's a concept called the soul friend that comes from the Celtic tradition, which is very beautiful, and it's written by a man named John O'Donohue. And the name of the book is Anam Kara, A N A M, space 
C-A-R-A, and it literally translates Annam Sol Kara, friend. And it's a great dissertation on the needs of the soul, the needs of the soul to have a friend, and uh, the meaning of what that person is when they come to you, and how to mold and shape that relationship. It's a beautiful philosophical discourse, if you will, on, the, on everything we've, t- uh, we've talked about from the Celtic perspective. And, um, and again, I would really recommend John O'Donohue, who talks about many things, memory, beauty, his entire set of works. He's an incredibly gentle man, so he doesn't owe me anything, but I'm really totally willing to plug. <laughs> um, at least to check out and then spark your mind, whether you agree or not. Well, I'll link the, 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 that in the show books, and I, I, I have an Amazon link, actually, for the book, which I'm ready to buy, <laughs> um, and I haven't read yet. And uh, But I thought there was maybe um, a reference in East Indian spirituality there, to the word soulmate or, there or the concept are, of soulmate the concept of soulmate there are actually there probably are words for it I, I'm, I'm very bad with vocabulary and it's late at night <laughs> and it is late at and night and we're, get, we're getting really weary here <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I don't I don't remember the word but the, the concept of the concept of the soulmate is something that that exists very much in in my culture and is emphasized mostly in in the connection that we have, which is, you will have many soul free, soul uh, soulmates, and you you at least will have one soulmate per dharma. So if there are nine dharmas, you have at least nine soulmates that you will encounter, mm-hmm. and it, it can go well beyond it can go well beyond that. And ultimately, it comes down to the soulmate not being the one soul out there that completes you, but any soul that comes into your life that completes you. So the soul that comes into your life that right, completes which you, we touched on earlier, yeah, okay. is your uh, is your soulmate, and is your soulmate in that life for that dharma, and in that way, and you may miss them in the next one, but um, you will find another one, and and really, again, ultimately, the whole purpose of this experiment of of existence that came from Brahma, as far as we can see. Is to ultimate to, is to rejoin each other, is to somehow s- one day achieve a simultaneous soul uh, soulmate connection with every single soul in the universe, and then maintain that. Mm. And that's what that's what the Buddhists call nirvana, and uh, that is what we call the 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 end of uh, the end of creation and destruction and the beginning of what comes next. Wow. Thank you so much, Aaron. And um, is there anything that I know that you're a writer and you do uh, writer for movies and scripts? And anyway, I can plug you in. <laughs> um, well, you know, uh, it's just uh, I'm Ishan. Yeah, I'm I'm Ishan, and I do uh, storytelling and script writing and things like that. And right now, the best way to contact me is uh, through the Niwa Dance Company, which um, I perform with with my lover, companion, soul friend, and soul mate, <laughs> Nandi, Nandi Reguero, who you plugged in your last show, and if you want to put her things up there again this okay. time, you can find me, you can find me there, and um, awesome. if I have any updates, I'll, I'll send them your way. I will. And also, thank you. I mean, you've been thanking me a lot, and I stay quiet for the podcast, but I really <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for listening to my good friend, because, uh, you know, the fact that he puts 
his energy out there and his specific energy out there is a blessing to my ears and just a lot of fun, which is what blessings should be. <laughs> and um, I always feel heartwarmed by them, and which is why I was really excited and nervous to come on and, <laughs> and kind of live up to that that energy. Um, but I had a lot of fun. I hope you all have had a lot of fun listening, and um, I just really love the experience. So thank you for making it possible. I'm sure I'll twist your arm again to come back to the Oral <laughs> Fix podcast. <laughs> show up for sure. <laughs> Thank you and namaste, good friend. Take care. Good night. <laughs> so thank you everyone for joining us for this episode of the All Fix Podcast. I hope you enjoyed uh, this segment, <laughs> lengthy segment of Go Ask Alice. And I look forward to hearing from you guys. If you have any comments, feedback, uh, or suggestions, write them to oralfixpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call it in. Yes, we have a telephone line. And that's 646-504-3491. You can follow The Old Fix on Facebook as well as listen to The Old Fix podcast. Uh, Facebook.com backslash The Oral Fix. I'm sorry, forward slash The Oral Fix podcast. And you can follow it. Uh, the you know my daily rantings and postings on Twitter or Oral Fix Podcast, as well as G Plus Henry M Diaz, or you can search for Oral Fix Podcast. So that's it for the show. Um, I hope everyone has a safe uh, rest of the week. And if you're in Sterling Forest or you want to go to the Renaissance Fair, it's this weekend. It starts this weekend. I'll be at Rosalisa's Jewelry Booth which is on Splendid Penny Lane, or maybe they changed it now to Penny Lane. I forget, but it's something like that. So I'll be there. La Chamaca will be there. Come say hi, take pictures, get an autograph if you want. And I'll, I'll hear you guys, see you guys next week. All right, take care.